told you that one of the distinctives of John's gospel is the Holy Spirit breaking out among us. Or as some of you grew up hearing, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost up in the house. The full manifestation. The Holy Ghost. Hey, how are we doing, church? Welcome all the campuses. Welcome them all. Welcome them all. We love you guys. So excited. We are one church in many locations. Uh, if you're new around here, my name is Benji. So honored that you would be here. I get the unbelievable privilege of serving as pastor of this movement. And just so thrilled that you are here today. Um, and, and that right there, what we just experienced, we sang that song globally throughout the movement. And um, it really is indicative. Before we jump into the word of God today, is it okay with you if I just take a moment and praise the Lord? Is that okay with you? Because you're already ready to praise the Lord. Um, on Vision Day, uh, I laid out on our birthday a word that I sensed that God was leading us towards in this new season. Who remembers what that word was? You don't have to raise your hand, sister. You, 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 I appreciate it, though, but you, you, you're so polite. Um, but all of, you, all of you just yelled it out, change. And uh, guys, I don't know if you realize this or not, but ever since we did that, something has started to shift in the atmosphere in this church. And God is starting to unleash greater levels of anointing and favor. We have right now at all of our campuses more guests showing up than we can ever remember having at our church. Attendance is swelling like we cannot remember in a long time, particularly in February, that's cray cray. Worship intensity and passion is at an all-time high. We are singing louder than we've ever sung before. That's revival in our midst. Salvation and rededications are happening all over this place. As I shared earlier, we have over 100, 109 to be exact, young adults who have now gotten involved in life groups, life groups. 109 of them. We just launched a young adult ministry. How cool is that? Mid-sized groups are up and, up and to the right. This past Tuesday, I had an Abundant Life membership class right in this very room here at the Durham campus. Guys, this is not normal. This is the size of our membership classes. I tell you often, this is not normal. That's, that's like a small church. Praise God. Can you welcome all of the members? Welcome all of the members into the movement. There's just an all-out spirit in the air that just causes me to want to praise his name and just celebrate and declare humbly yet boldly that Jesus Christ is on his throne and he is doing a great work in our church's life right now. Come on, church. I also feel led, if it's okay with you, I'll just take, I'll make this ever so, so brief, but I believe in showing honor where honor is due. And I would like to show some honor in this moment um, to two men particularly, really three. And I'm going to actually ask the third to come up on the stage today if he can. He didn't in the first celebration. But basically, we have at this church a videography team that is second to none. Like, guys, I study churches all over the world, and there are no two more competent and capable people. The, these two are responsible. Do you remember when we did the Preacher King series last year? Preacher King, and I went in the footsteps of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I preached in his pulpit, preached in his churches. We honored him on the 50th unfortunate anniversary of his assassination. Well, these two guys produced all these films. You remember Christmas at the movies? 
They did all that. You know how awesome that was. And they went to Sumter, South Carolina with me three weeks ago and we filmed 17 videos, 17 in three days. And every single week during Wrecked and Redeemed, they're gonna put before you a video that is produced at the highest possible level of video production. And I am talking about the one and only, I call him Daddy Piper, because he is a brand new daddy to an awesome little boy named Luke. I'm talking about Cody Piper, and I'm talking about Jesse Henning. I want those two gentlemen to come on up here. And I'm gonna ask Dave Bookout if he can leave the productions booth, put those headphones down, and come on up here as well. Yes, yes, yes. Show some love, show some honor. Come on up here, Dave. So, so these two guys right here, these two guys right here are the ones that record and produce it all. And I don't know if you've ever learned, like it, it takes hours, that's not an exaggeration, hours to produce a minute of video footage at the quality that these guys deliver. They could give you the exact number, but I'm sure I'm probably understating it. And they report to Pastor Dave Bookhout, who oversees them. He has an expert eye. He's calling a lot of the shots. So under his tutelage, these two men produce all the videos that you see at New Hope Church. And I just wanted to look you both in the eye in front of everybody because you're all... Guys, you would have thought I was asking to burn down the building early this morning when I said to Dave, I need Jesse and Cody on stage. And he goes, why? I said, none of your business. <laughs> He goes, excuse me? I said, none of your business. And, and, and I didn't want to tell him because I wanted to surprise him. But they're always up in the production's booth. You never see these guys. They're behind the scenes. But I just wanted to look at you guys and tell you on behalf of the movement, people accept Christ. People grow in their faith. And this church, is, as we just sang about, is pushing back the darkness and lifting high the light of Christ because of you and you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God. I have good news and I have bad news. What you want first? Bad news. Um, the bad news is we cannot, with the producer, the publisher cannot print enough books fast enough for the way you're eating them up. Do you want good news now? The good news is we had no idea, but we found an extra box this morning in the resource center. We thought we were all out. So you came to the right service. We found them right before you came. So books will be in the resource center if you wanna grab one afterwards. Um, let me give you some more good news while I'm at it. We have a man by the name uh, of Officer Lee. He goes to this church. Uh, Officer Lee's accepted Christ. I baptized Officer Lee. He helps with all the traffic issues out on Sunday mornings. Officer Lee, after he left church last week with my book, ran into a deputy by the name of Steve Hester at the Durham County Jail. Look at these two guys. Officer Lee is the first one. Deputy Hester is the second one. And they, the way they said it to me, they said, with a lot of help from God and a little help from us, we now have this book in the library at the Durham County Jail so the inmates can read it. How cool is that? How cool is that? And then I got this as well, Durham Recovery Response Center. It's a 24-hour a day where you can walk in for drug addiction or any kinds of addictions in Durham. Uh, they now have their own copy of Wrecked and Redeemed book for their patient waiting area. God is good all the time. 
Can I just say something before we, and we're gonna get into the message right after this, but I had this thought. Um, isn't it disturbingly ironic that we took the Bible out of public schools many, many years ago, and yet the first thing we hand an incarcerated inmate is the Bible. There's something jacked up with that scenario. But nonetheless, I'm still so thankful that God is getting his word into the jails around here and the recovery centers. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit. We know that you are. We sense it in this house. And we pray, Father God, that you would have your way with us today. We submit to the authority of your scriptures. Father God, take our minds and would you think through them. Take our hearts, oh God, and fill with them. Take my lips, Lord Jesus, and speak through them today. For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I promise you that I'm going to be dropping nuggets every single week into your spirit. And I promise not to make it too painful. I'm not going to turn this church into a cemetery class. I mean a seminary class. But I, I, do, I, do, I do want you to become a John scholar. Can, can you work that into your vision that when this series is over, you can actually be a scholar on the book of John. I believe that to be case. I'm praying that for you. So each week I'm gonna be talking about um, some background stuff. I'm gonna be talking about some context. I'm gonna be talking about some deeper understandings of the gospel of John. And I started doing that last week. How many of you remember? I, I told you there is a huge difference between the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. The synoptic gospels make up which gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're a brilliant church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they are very, very different than the Gospel of John, okay? Do you remember when I told you the Gospel of John was written thereabout? Yes, anywhere between 75 and 90 AD. The reason we know that is it is clear that the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, which took place historically, we know in the year 70 AD, John's gospel is written after that. We know that. I also shared with you last week that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke come and they are presenting a a far more detail-oriented narrative of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John, while he also focuses on details, John has another agenda. And John's agenda, get ready, it's a, it's a test. I'm going to ask you. John's agenda is to help us as a church develop and formulate and understand a robust and faithful what? I think I heard it. I think I heard it. Theology, yes, a theology. John is wanting to make sure we think right about God. Last week, we made it uh, through verse 13 of John chapter one. Bring your Bibles every week. We're gonna stay in the gospel of John for eight weeks and uh, we're gonna pick right back up today in John chapter one, verse 14. If you love the word of the Lord, let me hear you say, praise the Lord. Praise You're the Lord. awesome. Let's read it out loud, ready? Go, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his, glory. we've seen his what? Glory, glory. the what? Glory. Now, now if, if, if you're a keen reader and you read glory twice in one sentence, you should say, huh, that must be important. 
Underline that, circle it, highlight it, whatever you do. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Full of grace and truth. This one verse is the most classic verse in the New Testament in understanding the doctrine of the incarnation. And the incarnation, which I'm sure you know, is all about Christmas. Christmas is all about Emmanuel. Emmanuel is incarnation. Emmanuel, you've heard about it since you were a little kid. You've sung about it that long. Emmanuel means what? God with us. And so the very truth coming right out of the gate in John chapter 1 verse 14 that God wants us to understand is that Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth and that grace and truth was all for God's glory and God's glory alone. The word became, hopefully you've underlined it, the word became literally means that God the Son or the Logos, Greek for word, the Logos of God chose to break into time from eternity by becoming what? God in the flesh. Now, again, you've heard this your whole life, most of you anyway, unless your story is like mine. You've heard this, and so you kind of grow numb to it. You're like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 been there, done that, God with us, Emmanuel, bought the T-shirt, move on. No! We cannot grow numb to the fact that God, in all of his holiness, saw fit to send forth Jesus Christ. And remember last week, I pointed out last week that the message of John 1, 1 through 13, that the word became flesh, that God, Jesus Christ, has existed from infinity past, and will exist into infinity future. And that we cannot think of Jesus just in terms of a, year, a little 2,000 year window that Jesus has always existed. And that word became, that word is, is, is a word sarx in the Greek, it's S-A-R-X, and it's a strong, stick with me here for a moment, almost crude word that stresses the reality that a holy, divine, supernatural, eternal God left all of that and took on, again, some, some, some crude, fleshy words. He took on flesh. It's all about the creator willingly becoming creation for creation's sake. It says, he came among us. Your translation probably says, he dwelt among us. Dwelling. That word, stick with me, is eskinosin. Eskinosin is a word that is closely tied to, those of you who've read the Old Testament before, closely tied to the tabernacle of God or the tent of God. And you'll see some different scripture references there, Exodus 27, Leviticus 1, Numbers 1. In the Old Testament, the primary environment in which God's presence dwelt, the primary place in which the presence of God was palpable, 
The people would go to the tabernacle to experience the presence of God. John says, by the way, one has come far greater than any of the Old Testament prophets, and one has come that has the full presence of God dwelling in our midst, just as God dwelt in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And this is why Eugene Peterson in the message translation. Now, y'all know that I'm an NIV person, New International Version. People ask me all the time, which Bible do you recommend? NIV, New International Version. It's one of the most reputable, solid biblical interpretations. But I do like a good paraphrase every now and then. And there was no better paraphrase than Eugene Peterson's book, The Message. And Eugene Peterson recently passed away. God bless his soul. But look at how he interpreted this verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved, moved what church? Into the neighborhood. We saw, there it is, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to Finish. We saw the what? Now don't miss this. Whatever you do, write this down because this is going to be a theme that we see that runs throughout the entire Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, as it helps us get our theology right, is all about the glory of God. It's all about the what? The glory of God. I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit more. The glory of God. Also in the Gospel of John, very unique to John, not in the Synoptic Gospels, is we see a series of signs. If you've read John's Gospel, you know that. There are these critical things that happened in the life of Jesus that John referred to as signs. S-I-G-N-S, signs. And in John's Gospel, the signs always point to the glory of God. I'm not gonna have time to unpack that today. We will get to the signs in this series, but I'll point out something else unique to John's gospel. Unique to John is this whole um, language that Jesus used that he grabbed from the Old Testament. It's the I am sayings, I am, right? And the I am sayings in John's gospel, there are seven of them, seven. I don't have them on the screen, but I want you to get them, jot them down if you want. Jesus said in John's gospel, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not go hungry, John 6, 35. Here's another one, you recognize this one. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Three, Jesus said, I am the gate. If anyone, if anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and he shall go in and out and find Pastor John 10, verse nine. The Bible's making it clear there is only one entrance to God and his name is Jesus. He also says in a moment, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know this one, right? He who comes to the Father only through me, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. That's the next one. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. John chapter 11. And the seventh one, 
Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So John rolls around before he starts quoting Jesus on these I am sayings. And he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, do you see it, church? The extent to which we understand theologically that Jesus came full of what? Full of what? Grace and truth. To the extent to which we understand that, to the extent to which we experience that, to the extent to which we embodied that grace and truth is the extent to which God gets the glory in this church. Do you see it? Jesus is where and how we encounter God. Can I get an amen? Grace has a name and his name is Jesus. Truth has a name and his name is Jesus. The grace and truth is all about his glory. And when a church, when a church, when a church truly models that, truly holds intention, if you will, the calling of God to not just be full of truth at the expense of grace and not to just ooze grace at the expense of truth, but to instead embody both of those to the extent to which we do that. God shows up. As Eugene Peterson says, God moves into our neighborhood. God busts up in our crib. God gets all up in our personal space with grace and truth. And by the way, this is why we started New Hope Church 17 years ago. This one reality that the church is supposed to be a place full of grace and truth like Jesus was one of the primary reasons why we started the church 17 years ago. And here's why. I'm just going to tell you how I see it. I don't believe in talking bad about other churches. I believe God uses all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Can I get an amen? Like, I love the church. You know that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint with a broad stroke for just a moment to let you know, kind of take you behind the scenes to kind of show you why we started this church 17 years ago. Basically, my wife and I met at Duke. We fell in, oh, by the way, I wore this coat in honor of my daughter and you Tar Heel fans. Some, somebody said to me, this looks like a coat Roy Williams would wear. I said, yeah, it really does. I met my wife at Duke and here's what we did. We started going around studying different churches. And you know, I had been a student of the church for a while anyway. And so what I discovered in this area, it's a lot like any areas, particularly in the, in the buckle of the Bible belt, you have grace churches and you have truth churches. Do you know this? I mean, as, if as I'm going along, you're kind of picking up what I'm laying down, this has been your experience, talk to me. You have grace churches and you have truth churches. Let's, let's start with... Um, Heck, let's start with the truth churches because the truth churches have been around a long, long time. The truth church, you've been to these churches, right? In, in the old days, it was the traditional mainline church, not anymore, I'll get to that in a moment, but it was the, it was the mainline church in the old, old days. I'm not talking about your parents, your parents' parents, your grandparents. And what happened in those churches, and now today, you find these contemporary churches throughout America, 
And they kind of look a little like us, if you know what I mean. They're not as diverse as we are, but they kind of look like us. They have some kicking music, right? They have new buildings, but they're Bible churches. They're Bible churches. And so what happens in those churches, and you guys, don't, don't, don't get too far ahead of me. You know I love the Bible. Can I get an amen? I'm all about the word, but just stick with me here for a moment as I paint with a broad stroke. The, the, the pastor comes in, and he, he's usually in a suit, right? And everybody else is dressed up in their finest clothes. You got to wear your Sunday best to the house of the Lord. No holy jeans in the house of the Lord. And the pastor gets up, and he, he typically mounts the pulpit, not the pulpit, but the pulpit. And he, he says to the people, hey, today's scripture is blank. And in that very moment, everybody's head goes boom. And they drop into their Bible. And they all have their leather-bound Bibles. And, and, and they all have their name embossed right here on the front, bottom, right-hand side. Ooh, and there's study Bibles, and there's maps, and there's concordances, and all of that stuff. And the pastor then stands up for the next hour or so, and he preaches an expositional sermon. Has to be an expositional sermon. Verse by verse by verse by verse. And when he says something really good, all the people have their pens in their hand and their highlighters, and they go, ooh, ah. And for an hour, they sit there and they lean into the truth and praise God that the Bible is an important part of their worship service. Can I get an amen? But here's the problem. If I, were to, if I had my board up here that I sometimes draw on, if I were to draw out the people in those churches, I would draw a stick figure with a big giant head. Because truth churches are all about the oohs and the ahs and thank you. And they live in this book. The problem is they never do anything with their faith. They leave church and they close their Bible until they come back the next Sunday for more truth. And in those churches, correct me if I'm wrong, are some of the meanest Christians on the planet. He says, talk about it. I will, brother. You don't you dare park in their parking spot. Don't you dare sit in their seat because my mama been sitting in that seat and her mama sat in that seat and my grandparents sat in that seat and don't you dare. And it's all about truth. And truth is important. But when you have truth and no grace, you have some of the meanest, quote unquote, Christians. And the world looks at Christians like that. And they say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, count me out. And what happens is the world then chalks up the fact that Christians are a bunch of homophobic, mean-spirited, judgmental people, and they don't want me in their midst anyway. And what we basically say to the world when we become a church that's all grace and no truth, what we basically say to the world is you can die and go to hell. We don't care. Truth churches. The other extreme <laughs> are grace churches. Grace churches. And oh my Lord, they're everywhere today. The grace churches, particularly today, 
are mainline churches. They're mainline denominational churches. And in the mainline denominational church, and by the way, I can talk about these kinds of things because I've been in all these churches. The mainline churches start out right at 11 o'clock. Worship service must be at 11 a.m. It says it in the book of Hesitations, chapter four, (laughs) verse three. 11 o'clock worship. And at 11 o'clock, they start with the prelude. And once the prelude is done, they light the candle and the acolyte comes in. Confess to the Lord right now. How many of you grew up as an acolyte? Come on, show of hands. Yes, acolytes in the house. God bless the acolytes. Acolytes come in. They carry the candle, which represents the light of Christ. They walk down. Right behind them is the preacher. The preacher's in his robe. And I've been there, done that. Can you picture this old boy in a robe? I've done the robe and the stole thing. My wife will tell you, I still have them in my closet. Then I got my doctoral work and Amy Lynn gave me a a robe that had the doctoral stripes on it. Oh, fancy smancy me, right? I never wear them. They come down the aisle. The music is playing. They come up on the the, uh, stage. The choir gets in the chancel area. Have you heard that in a long time? In the chancel area. And they sing the hymns, hymn number 374, leaning on the everlasting arms of God. We're going to sing verse 1, 2, and 4, never verse 3. Why do we not sing verse 3? I, I've always, why, why don't we sing verse three? It's like verse three is from the devil himself. No, we sing verse one, two, and four. Never verse three, maybe five and six if the, if the message is really short that day. When that's done, the, the, the preacher, the reverend, please don't call me reverend, please don't. There's only one revered in this church and his name is Jesus. Can I get a name? So, but anyway, the, the reverend gets up and he doesn't preach an expositional sermon that goes about an hour. He typically preaches about a 15 minute homily. And the homily might be grounded in scripture or it might not. And what happens then is in that 15 minute homily, about, I've done the count before, about 60% of the people nod. They take a nap. I used to sit, I was a student pastor in one of these churches. I used to sit in the back with my student group, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing right now, it's good for the soul. And we would look at the heads and when the heads started bobbing, I'd, I'd elbow my students and go, watch this. One, two, timber, boom. 15 minute homily. Message is over, sing a final hymn. Again, verse one, two, four, not verse three. Send people out with a fancy smancy benediction. And that's the grace church. But here's the reality. They're some of the most gracious, loving people on the planet. Anybody is welcome at the grace churches. But the problem is, If all you get is grace, you might feel forgiven, but you will not be given any truth to ground your life, to anchor your soul and teach you how to live your life. And if all you get is truth, but no grace, you might feel like you found the rock solid foundation to anchor your soul with, but you won't feel forgiven, nor will you experience the love and the grace of God. Truth, listen, parents, parents, oh my Lord. Side note, parents, pay close attention. Truth without grace leads to judgment, discouragement, and rebellion. If you are a parent 
and all you do is give your children truth. You beat them over the head with truth, 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 but you don't give them any grace and love, you will have a rebel on your hand. You can take it from me. That's all I grew up on was black and white truth. I never knew of the grace of God. In the same way in Christianity, truth without grace, it just leads to a mean church, a mean church of judgmentalism, a mean church that kind of scours at the world, right? And it results in rebellion because the Bible says it is your kindness, oh God, that leads us to repentance. Now watch this. Grace without truth leads to undisciplined license and lukewarm religion. You can be all about the grace. Do it. If it feels good, do it. That's what our culture is built on today, by the way. In the older generations, you know this. Some of you left the church because all you got was truth. The old timers, they'd tell you about the truth, wouldn't they? They'd beat you over the head with the truth, wouldn't they? Right? But in this day and age, we've swung the pendulum all the way to the other side where our culture is all about grace, 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 grace. And they're all about grace so long as you don't offend someone. But the moment you offend someone, even grace gets thrown out of the door because it's not politically correct to come anywhere near truth at the expense of offending someone. And you end up with just licensed, undisciplined, lukewarm religion. And some of you have been in church long enough that when I say that, you're like, ooh, that sounds familiar. Same author who wrote John wrote the book of Revelation. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know you are what? Deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are what? Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. The language there, if you study it, is that a lukewarm religious churchgoer is disgusting to the heart of God. That God would be like, I'd rather spit you out of my mouth than for you to be lukewarm. I'd rather spit you out of my mouth, using the language from Vision Day, remember? I'd rather spew you out of my mouth if you're gonna be a fan of mine. I'm not looking for fans. God's looking for followers. There's a huge difference. So this whole idea of Jesus being full of grace and truth is paramount in the life of the church. I praise God that Chaplain Ray Jones, when he gave me this old leather bound Bible with the red letters indicating the words of Jesus, I praise God that he sent me to the gospel of John. And then he started to unpack for me this, this tension between grace and truth. And it's not an either or, but it's a both and. This notion that truth must be valued and presented in a gracious way. So, so follow me here for a moment. Put on your thinking caps. 
It's not just an either or, and Lord knows we've seen either or in churches in America. You got the grace churches and the truth churches. We just talked about that. But what we also then believe that we also think, okay, if we're not gonna be either or, then here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a Christian who is full of grace and I'm gonna be a Christian who is full of truth, but I'm only gonna exude truth in this situation because this person needs truth and I'm gonna exude grace in this situation because this person needs grace. And what I'm saying to you today is that even in and of itself is not right. These two are not diametrically opposed to one another. The truth is grace and truth go hand in hand. Truth must be valued and presented in a gracious way. There are so many Christians, angry, mean-spirited Christians, who they're all about the truth. But can I just be honest? I didn't say this last service. I'm about to get in trouble probably. Like, I don't even want to be associated with them. They're just so mean. Looks like you daggum ate a sour onion sandwich for breakfast, man. You're just, you're just a, you're an angry elf, right? <laughs> what is your problem, dude? I, I can't stand that stuff. And the church is losing her credibility. If we don't stay committed to truth, Y'all know I am a truth person. I believe there is a truth. Number one, his name is Jesus. Number two, truth is found in his word. But even when I'm going to be talking to someone about truth, listen, we are to do it in a gracious, loving way. Grace, on the other hand, must be freely given in a way that holds fast to the truth. Again, it's not an either or depending on the situation. It is a both and. And our tendency is to think, you know what? Grace is not only the, the power to do whatever you wanna do, but grace is all about yes, yes, yes. I would never say no and when I'm offering grace to somebody. And that is exactly opposite. There's this little passage tucked in the book of Titus. You might not have ever read it before, but get you some of this. It's about grace. And our tendency is to think grace is do whatever you wanna do. You license, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. Biblical understanding of grace is this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers what? Salvation to all people. Grace, talking about grace. It teaches us to say, say what? No. On the count of three, all of our campuses, I want you to yell out no louder than you've ever yelled out anything in church. One, two, three. No. You're done good. You're done good. Grace, parenting, grace, friendships, grace in marriage, grace in your life. Grace can also mean no. It teaches us to say no to what? See the truth and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and what's that word? We don't hear about this much anymore. Godly lives. Godliness matters, church. Holiness matters, church. Integrity matters, church. Truth matters. In this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, right? the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, i.e. the church, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority, grace, and truth. A few weeks ago, I was out in Southern California with, um, and you guys hear me refer to this group as my tribe. And um, my tribe is, is, is typically 14 people. We just recently added two. It's a very, we, we're very careful. We just don't add anybody. So it's, it's a group now of 16 people. And we meet twice a year. Once a year, it's just the 14 of us. Like I said, now 16. And we, we just end up in one of our towns and we, we get a hotel room and we don't go to big conferences much anymore unless some of them are speaking or whatever. But we, we then get a little meeting room at the hotel and we spend three days together from about eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night. And we're reading scripture together. We're praying together. We're talking about what's working. We're challenging one another. We're asking one another hard questions. And then about five or six o'clock, we wrap up. We join our spouses. The spouses have been together all day. And then we go out that night and then we do the thing the next day and then next day and then we all fly back home that's what we do once a year once a year we get together and we don't do that we meet for one day but then we host a conference for pastors who are leading churches over a thousand and by the way churches over a thousand only make up 0.005 percent of the churches in america so we host this conference for churches over a thousand so two weeks ago we were up to do that and so we're in um in Los Angeles, Southern California, and we're hosting this conference. The 14 of us are putting on this conference for 125 pastors who are leading churches over 1,000. I was just going to get a hotel, but my boy, Mike Bro, you know Mike, our teaching pastor. Don't worry, Mike's coming back. He's in the pocket like six times in 2019. Love, 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 bro. Well, bro said, bro said, man, don't worry about a hotel. I got a place you can stay. And so next thing I know, I'm getting an address and I'm just driving to this house. I've never been to this house before. And I'm telling you guys, I stayed with this brother who has blessed me more in just a few weeks than, than I can ever remember anybody doing so. His name is Keith Rupta. And I'm going to share with you Keith's story because as I got to hear Keith's story and as I went down the street to his yogurt shop, he now runs a yogurt shop. Wait until you hear what he used to do. He runs a yogurt shop and he hosts a great men's Bible study on Monday morning. So I stayed with this guy for three days. I went to his Bible study and I learned his story. And the moment I learned his story, I'm like, New Hope has to experience this. Because you're about to hear a story that brings together this whole idea of grace and truth. Like I've been trying my best to communicate with you today. And the reason I love sharing this story with you is it's not my story. Because my story is just a story. It's not the stories that are important. It's God's glory that he gets from the story. And so I want you to settle in and watch this incredible video of my friend Keith. Check it out. I ran from God and I squandered wealth and I lived lavishly for many years without thought of God. From an early age, I didn't feel accepted, uh, partly because, you know, my mother and my father, when I was born, were incapable at that time in their life to accept the responsibility of a child. My mother had just gotten married for her sixth marriage, and, and the guy she married was uh, 
was religious or saved or you know and 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 the experience of being whipped with a fiberglass rod and told and scriptures read as he was spare the rod spoil the child uh, I had a bad taste in my mouth about scripture right then the God I knew back then was like a judge you know behind when you went to court to drop the hammer and said to hell you know and you know no and I felt that he was a condemning God and that no matter how hard I might try to be a good person I could never live up to that God what he wanted from me I remember my stepfather telling me that for every F and for every U on my report card, I would get five lashes. And I came home with straight U's and straight F's. And I went to school the next day and I was bleeding and cut. And I found this as my opportunity to get out of this house. And I made my way to the principal office and, and I, uh, they made me strip my clothes and take pictures called D Department of Children's Services and, and removed me from the home. When I was 16 years old, I saw my aunt and my uncle, and they told me, your mother had aneurysm and she's in a coma. I had been estranged from my mother after leaving the, the family at that last whipping, and it had been a couple years and we hadn't really spoke. <clears throat> I went to the hospital I remember the nurse telling me, you know, sometimes they can hear what you are saying. And I took this opportunity to grab her hand and it was just me and her. And this is probably the first, it was the first time in my life that I told my mother, I said, I love you. And she died while I was holding her hand. The pain from what I experienced right then, maybe it was because I had finally told her I loved her, or, or it was her death, or feeling once more alone. I covered my emotions and my feelings more, more with alcohol and drugs than ever before. It would be the start of my downward spiral. And I kind of ran with my half-brother. We would go into the projects and rob people for drugs and come out of the project with bullet holes in our car. We would break into houses. To drink and to do drugs, you need money, and we didn't have a job. Our job was using. Our job was drinking. And uh, to be able to afford our addiction, we had to come up with creative ideas of how to, to gain more and use more. When I was 22 years old, I went into a bar looking to sell drugs and and I saw a man standing at the bar. I remember he pulled a wad $100 bills out of his pocket and I said, that guy probably needs drugs. And I went over and said, hey, do you want to buy some drugs? And he's like, no, I don't want any drugs. And I go, well, then buy me a drink. And he goes, well, get a job. And I said, well, I'm trying to find a job. And he said, well, I have a store you can come build some shelves for me in the morning and gave me the address and bought me a drink and thought he'd never see me again. And I didn't know where he told me to come to work was an adult bookstore. Um, and I was waiting there for him when he pulled up to build shelves. I stayed with him for 10 years. I went from building those shelves to shipping, to selling, to um, 
eventually leaving him and starting my own company and becoming Southern California's largest adult distributor. There were only two large distributors in the world and there was me on the West Coast and another guy on the East Coast. I would never use the word pornography because it was too harsh of a word for myself. I didn't want to accept the fact that I was in pornography, so I softened it up with words like adult video distributor. I finally came to a point in my life that nothing was working anymore. I couldn't fix on buying things to cover up those feelings that go way back from when my mother died, or those feelings of feeling alone or feeling um, like an outsider. I can't say I was running to anything because I was running from my past, not realizing that I was running to nowhere. I was in a hurry to get to nowhere. I didn't know that God was starting to intervene in my life and he had a perfect plan for, for changing my life. I remember that uh, one of the things my friend had told me, God knew what he got when he got you. And as long as you're running to, you're running from. And so at this point in my life, I started running to God. I didn't know how I was going to change this big mess that I had. I didn't know how I was going to get out of the business or how I was going to change anything. I just. All I could do was focus on running to God. That was the only thing that seemed to work for me at that moment. And I knew in my heart that I had to make a change. When I finally came to my senses, I had prepared what I could say to God when I came home. But when returning home, I realized it didn't make a difference what I had to say. He took me just as I was. I ran from God and I squandered wealth, and I lived lavishly for many years without thought of God. And he took me back into his arms and accepted me and gave me grace through his son. Mm. Yeah. Guys, when we, when we figure out how to hold fast to truth while never, ever giving up on grace, the power of God falls on a church and lives are changed. Here was a guy who was one of two of the largest distributors of pornography in America, had a head-on collision with Jesus, left a multi-million dollar income to open up a yogurt shop. A little different, wouldn't you say? 
And now he's an entrepreneur and he's doing all kinds of good stuff, but hosting an incredible men's Bible study and is active in a great church over there called Mission Church. Two really, really quick points of application because shame on me if I wouldn't give you some application here. I'm gonna go bump through them really quick. Number one, remain mindful of God's grace in your life so that you will dispense grace upon grace. That's, that's the phrase of John. Grace upon grace to those you know and encounter along the way. In other words, you need to really just try your best to remain mindful of the fact that if it were not for the grace of God, where would you be? Like I know where I would be, probably six feet under. And I don't know about you, but I never want to forget what it was like to be lost. Just stay mindful of the fact that God's grace saved a wretch like you. And I don't care how good your story is. Like, I don't care how much money you put in the offering. I don't care if you got a little perfect attendance lapel for Sunday school when you were a kid. Like, you know, against the holiness of God... That's like filth and rags. But for the grace of God, where would we be? And if you learn to live in that ever-present awareness that God's grace has saved you, you'll tend to dispense grace upon grace to other people. Number two, become a student of God's word so that truth is the foundation for how you live and how you teach and guide others along the way. Become a student of this word and be committed to the truth of God in this word. And then join me and live out this beautiful dance, if you will, this beautiful dance between grace and truth. And when a church truly gets this right, when a church is made up of individuals and together we become a movement of grace and truth. Remember what I told you John's gospel is about? It's about the glory. When a church really figures this out and we move and live and we have our being in this delicate dance between grace and truth, that's when God's glory falls on a people and you can't keep people away. It's like a cold drink of water on a hot summer's day. If you get a church holding out grace and truth at the same time, I'm telling you, church, you can't keep people away because everybody wants grace. But intuitively, everybody knows I really need some truth in my life as well. So I want to pray with you. And then we're going to respond with a song titled, Yes, I Will. And the song is about a lot of different things, but I'm praying it'll be a commitment from you and a commitment from me. Yes, I will. I will be a Christian that learns to dance between grace and truth. Father, we love you today. I thank you for these beautiful people who come ready to lean in and engage and learn. Father, I pray that as we get ready to stand in just a moment, that as we sing this song, Father God, it will be more than just words on a screen. But, oh God, we will declare, yes, I will. As hard as it might 
be, as hard as it might sound, I'm going to learn to embody both. And if you're here today and you have this tendency to be all about the grace, forget the truth. I'm praying you'll say, yes, I will, God. I'm going to be a student of your word and I'm going to hold fast to the truth. Conversely, so if you're a person all about the truth, you were raised on truth, it, it helps you get through life. It simplifies things. It's, it's black and white and it's all about the truth. The reality is life is not that neat and tidy and you need to embrace grace. So fathers, we sing that together today. Yes, I will. May we commit to John 1:14. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, and as I've been talking, you desire a relationship with Jesus, you desire to experience this grace and truth in and through Jesus, just make a simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you today. I need that. I need lots of grace. I've blown it. But oh God, I need some truth to help me navigate the challenges, and the turmoil of life. If that's you and you desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, won't you just say a simple prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life today. Come into my life with your grace and your truth. I'm a little wrecked, oh God, but I need you to redeem me. Just like you did, Keith, I need you to redeem me. Redeem my soul. Forgive me of my sins and help me follow you all the days of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.